Welcome to the Ion Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. Well, any of the noise that you're hearing in the background is from Bean Rush Cafe here in West Annapolis, which is always hustling and bustling, as it should be, because it's a great little coffee shop. And we are sitting down with, I think the first time I've ever sat down with somebody that does this, but we're sitting down with Terry Jacobson, who is a doula, a doula, death doula. Is that a bad word or is that? People go by different things. I actually, um, you can do end of life doula, death doula. We do advanced care doula, aging elder doula. It just depends on where you can serve somebody when they're facing challenges or end of life. Well, you know, the term doula, and I'll preface this by saying the website that you want to go to is MarylandDoulaCollective.org, and that's Maryland spelled out D-O-U-L-A collective.org. And I've always heard the term doula pretty much for birth. It's right. it's an alternative to going and seeing the doctor in the hospital and uh, the whole sterile environment and everything else, uh, usually associated with a, a home birth, correct? Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, you're kind of at the other end of the cycle, which makes some sense to me in some sort of ways. Yeah, we are at the other end. So as a birth doula or a birthing midwife, they help prepare the mother and the family to birth the child and the family to get ready to open their hearts up to another person. In their home, so they help the family, the person giving birth, they help at birth, they help after birth, acclimating and integrating this new life into their world. And then there's support systems. So it doesn't necessarily have to be um, no medical involved. It's to supplement and support where medical tends to disregard or not have time to do Well, there's an awful lot to it. Now, I've, I've lost both of my parents, and... I will say that I know that both of them had hospice taking care of them toward the end. And it was a, you know, as tragic to, I guess, the survivors are that that death may be. It was really a a beautiful, caring type of a situation. It it really sort of scrambles my mind when I sit there and think about it, because, you know, in one part, I... You know, you should be this despondent, woe is me, oh my gosh, you know, this is horrible, this is the worst thing in the world that never happened. Yet the other part of me is sitting here saying, well, this happens uh, to everybody at some point. This is, you know, this in taxes, they say you can't, <laughs> you can't avoid. Um, but it was, it was very peaceful to both my parents as well as to my sister and I. And... Right. I guess your job as a doula is to sort of assist in that whole thing. Absolutely. So we support the hospice team. So the hospice team is made of a nurse, a CNA or a GNA, a social worker, a chaplain, and then some support staff. But they can't be there 24-7. 
So especially with the healthcare worker crisis shortage right now, there are gaps that happen when anybody is in hospice or actually in any type of medical setting, if it's hospital or palliative care versus hospice. So doulas step in and fill in the gaps more or less that the team needs. Um, I, I mean, when when do you fill in those gaps, I guess? Like, okay, if, um, I mean, I can, I can make the argument that immediately upon birth, we're slowly dying. <laughs> uh, you know, but I mean, we've got folks that will be diagnosed with um, an illness that may be terminal um, within months. It may be terminal within years or it may be terminal without realizing what the duration may be. I mean, I remember when my mother, she had Alzheimer's and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what the prognosis was. I remember one doctor had said, well, it could be a three-month decline, or it could be a three-year, three-year, four-year, five-year, whatever. And where does a doula come into play in this? I mean, I know that the hospice comes in a little bit closer to end of life. And I mean, and that's sort of where I think the medical options have been somewhat exhausted. Right, correct. So hospice is designed for comfort and quality not curative. So we know that we're facing end of life. We're not going to recover. We're not going to get better. So it's to give you the best quality of life possible. As a doula, each doula does something different. Um, I have a tendency to go upstream where I work with people at diagnoses and then walk with them through uh, their diagnosis, either back into well-being or into hospice. Some doulas only do literally end of life. Um, transition, active buying, another doula is kind of fill in the middle there. So it depends on the doula, but the role of a doula is to serve, is to serve. So we serve not only hospice team, the family, the person facing a terminal illness or dying. We also serve community as far as, you know, creating a community of care. A lot of people right now are sandwich generations. Their their aging parents are with them. Their young children are with them, and they're trying to manage their life between the two tensions. So, creating, helping them create a community of care by putting people in different places, different world roles upstream will help at the end of life. So, you're essentially the. I mean, I'm assuming that you're not there twenty four seven. Just like hospice is not there twenty four seven. Uh, are you on call when I work with a doula? Is I, we I, can be on call. Hey, I need to talk to you yeah. uh, type of a thing. Or is it, hey, I'm going to check in with you on Wednesday? It depends on what the person needs and the family needs. As it gets closer to to the dying part, hopefully we've done a great job at educating and empowering the family to really lean into that sacred space. If they're still uncomfortable with it or need support, we come in and support. But we support from behind. We support them and encourage them to do this beautiful work for themselves and for their loved ones. So I can be there. I've been there for a couple days when there's a hard circumstance, and then I've only been on the phone with them. You know, okay. and so really it's, it's unique as death is unique to each of us. So is the journey. Well, I guess you see all sorts of family dynamics in your, in your work. I mean, there's probably some that are just so very peaceful with this and let's, 
let's let mom or dad just, you know, go on to wherever they're going on to very peacefully. And then there's, you know, the bickering and the fighting. And so there's all sorts of different ways that people deal with the news on that. And I mean, I guess that's where you really shine in that you are able to identify and, and based on your experience, know exactly how to sort of massage that to make it the best outcome for, for everybody. Because I got to think that for a dying person, the last thing in the world they want is just to see this chaos among their family. I mean, I'd be the one to be like, oh yeah, no, I'm not going yet. You, I've got to whip you guys, I've got to whip you guys into shape. That happens, you know, people hold on until there's calm and peace. And that's why you want to go as early as possible. And you want to do the work of dying and death as early as possible. So you don't have all these triggers happening, trying to process something that should have been processed years ago. We're death phobic, we're death phobic, period. We don't like to talk about it. We don't think that we're going to. We do everything we can to look younger, act younger, stay younger. And by having early conversations about dying and death and disease, doing your advanced directives, your advanced care planning, even your ethical wills and all of that helps prepare your heart for what's to come. You know, you're so right in that. And then I know, again, my mother had suffered with Alzheimer's for a while. And I remember when she ultimately passed, people were like, how are you so nonchalant that your mother died? And my answer was that because of Alzheimer's, um, I had, my mother had started to die you know, 10 years ago. And That's why they call it the long goodbye. Yeah. And you know, as, as it got there, and I mean, you know, through the time as it got worse when she didn't recognize me and, you know, you had to remind her to swallow and, you know, you, you knew that there wasn't a whole lot of time. You didn't know what the time was, but I really mourned that death through that. I mean, it was, a you know, and when my father passed, who actually passed in, you know, we'll say old age for lack of a better word, it was a shock that it happened, but it seemed like the, the mourning period for me, and again, everybody that's different, was a lot shorter. It was like, oh gosh, okay, well, you know, he was 93, he, you know, and, and the whole nine yards, and it was supposed to, you know, and it was somewhat of a finite period. I know my mother it was years and years and years. And it's not that I don't, you know, you don't think about them or anything like that. It's not out of sight, out of mind type thing. But it, there's just so many different ways that, you know, people will deal with that. Right. So there's a great book called um, The Four Things That Matter Most by, well, they're by Ira Bayer. I recommend it to all my clients and everybody who I talk to because it's super important to have things said and heard at the end of life, before the end of life, that helps soften the breath and allows for exiting on both sides. We're not clinging to things. So it could be that with your mom, because she um, had a form of dementia and is no longer able to really express, I'm assuming, anything or respond to what you say, then there could have been a lack of closure on that side. So the four things are, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, and I love you. Sure. And then, you know, we kind of take it further and say it's okay to go, listen to the person and what they're worried about, we'll take care of Jane, 
Right, with somebody with special needs or, you know, situation. Right. So I specialize in, in patients with people with dementia. And it's it's a harder, it's a different, but sometimes harder goodbye. Even though you've processed it a long time, there's not an opportunity to say those things. Whether they know know it or not. Now, there, there are ways that we do that. I coach people to have those conversations and respond for the person to connect heart to heart as opposed to meeting the, the listening part and respond. So that's, that's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a that's, that's people. What's the biggest misconception that, that people have? I mean, I've, I've got an idea of what I think it is. I want to just sort of see what you mean. I don't know. I mean, I can kind of go woo-woo on you on this. So I think for me, the most misconceived is that it's over, is that relationship ends. And people cling because of that. Right. They cling to the end of life and wanting to push push that out as far as possible. But if we can get to the point where... You know, it's our body and our spirit separates, and they're still here. They're still with us in some form, some way, some influence. Yeah, my my thought was that it that it doesn't have to be a tragic situation. It doesn't have to be a a bad death. Yeah, I I I try to not. Everybody's death is their own death. It's their journey. And some, what we call good death, um, there is no death that's good because it creates grief and mourning and sadness and sorrow. It can be a gentle death. It can be a frustrating death. It can be a torturous death. But it's not for us a doula to change it, fix it, improve it. We're there to support it, support it, and see any missing pieces that could assist that person in having a more peaceful, softened death through reconciliation, through releasing regrets and remorse. Um, How do you guys, I mean, you are not doing this out of the kindness of your heart. This is a career for you. Um, I mean, is this something covered by insurances so this is this is this is a family born expense yeah it's a private pay situation most doulas have a have a sliding scale so a lot of what a lot of what doulas do and what i do is there's a bucket for people that can't not afford the service so we've never turned anybody away ever Well, I mean, because it is a calling, you, you, you know, it, it, it is. I mean, I can see in your eyes that there is a love for this. And uh, I also see that you're healthy. So therefore you're eating. OK, so you know, at some point there's, uh, you know, there's the ability you've got to you've got to feed yourself and take care of your family. How did you get into becoming a doula? What's where did the background come from? I really think it was modeled by my mom. Um, she had a tendency to take non-solo agers. We have a ton of solo agers right now. 27% of the population are solo aging. They have nobody to take care of them. So my mom modeled for me at a very young age, taking care of people that didn't have children in their dying, older 
waging years. And then as an adult, I had many close friends diagnosed and later die of cancer that I journeyed with. And my first big one was a girlfriend of mine who was diagnosed with breast cancer at 27, had a same age, two-year-old child as mine. And we did, I think it was like 190 hours of DVD video messages to her son that went from potty training, congratulations, potty training, all the way to him potty training his kids. And... Um, it was absolutely beautiful. It was hard. It was gut-wrenching. It was super sad moments. But it also created a soft spot for her because she didn't want to be forgotten. She adored her son. And this allowed her to express her love and for him to receive it over the years. Well, you, you talked about your friend that was in her 20s. Um, I've got to imagine with what you experience on a, a daily basis and some of it, you know, life is not very fair sometimes it seems. And, and you have to distance yourself from that to a, to a degree. But I imagine that some of it is sometimes you've got a patient. Was that what they were? Are they referred to client patient? Yeah. It's, uh, friend. yeah. Friends that, that really sort of tug at your heartstrings. I mean, you know, you get maybe a child that, uh, you know, that had a, a very brief, life or a, a young adult in the, the prime of their life or whatever. I mean, how do you, how do you reconcile that as a dual? I mean, how, I mean, to me, it would be nearly impossible to distance myself on that. I mean, I could not go home and well, we'll have fortune on tonight. You know, I mean, it's how to, have to for me and everybody does something different. Um, I have a ton of rituals that I go through to acknowledge what is mine to hold and what is not mine to take. I leave what is not mine. I, I, I will always carry the emotion and the sadness of the situation, but I also make sure that I understand my boundary of where I stop and where they stop and try not to. Sometimes you're right, it, it, it gets to you. And that's when you really have to be uh, heavy into your practice and your rituals. I do a lot of rituals. I love fireplaces. Okay. And I love to sit there and take all my cares or all my worries and just give them to the fire and let it take them away. And just watch it burn away. Let it burn away. Or if I don't have a fire, I do a candle. Um, so those practices help remove it because what we don't want to do, what we don't want anyone to do is hold it. Sure. Now it has to move. You have to move it. Emotion needs to move. It's energy. So we move it into a better place. Yeah. I, again, I think I know the answer to this, and I'll, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. What's your relationship with the families as they're going through this process and after the loved one passes? Does that continue? I mean, to Most me, often. I, I, I've got to imagine to have somebody holding my hand, which I did not have. I mean, I had, you know, hospice to a degree and everything else. But, uh, you know, when my parents passed, I'd imagine that you probably almost become a de facto kind of family member. And that may just be for a period of, of weeks or months or a year or so. Um, You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And some people, when when um, 
they're done, they're done. But the majority of people, you, well, as a doula, you support them through the bereavement also. Goals often. And I have found that it probably is a year to a year and a half that the separation begins with the family and, and myself. But it never really ends. And I still would get a text from, I got a text last week from a gal that I journeyed with her mom five years ago. She said, was just sitting on the beach thinking about you and thankful. And it's weird how the mind works like that. You know, five years later, it's like, I wonder how Terry's doing. What? She's on the shoulder to make that. She was, she was an important part of my life five years ago. I need to, I need to reach out. The mind is bizarre. Um, to but do. it's a connection. It's a it's an energy connection that never really dies. I don't think just like it does doesn't die when our parents die, or our grandparents die, or our child dies. It's it's a part of us. It's a part of our DNA, and something will trigger it to think about us. Well, I know one of the things you said is you know is a lot of your job is preparing, is letting getting everybody on the same page, whether it be apologizing or, you know, getting the skeletons out of the closet or whatnot. When is the appropriate time to enlist a duel to, to help out? Healthy. Seriously? Yes. Okay. When you're in wellness, when you're in wellness, that you can do this work and think about what you wish at the end of your life. Who do you want there? More importantly, who don't you want to hear that and get it down in writing and get comfortable that you are going to die. And share that with your family so you have these discussions in wellness. There is no sorrow or clinging or, you know, you can plan what you want. You can prioritize your life. You can create a conscious living, conscious dying document that is your guide until you need it. Do you, do you get involved into the nuts and bolts of dying? I mean, as far as okay, you need to get a will, you need to get a, you know, a trust, uh, you need to sign the uh, DNR order, the whole, I mean, is that something that you get involved with? We educate, or, we educate and we support and we encourage. Because okay, so like, here is why you would need a DNR order. This is why, why you would need this. So the patient, the client, the friend can make their own decision moving forward. Yeah, so in advanced directive, you explain what each document means. And how each document gets placed. So an advanced directive lets everybody know, especially your health proxy, of what you want if you would become incapacitated or end of life. Right. Um, your ethical will is done so that if you have, I've had people write letters years and years and years before their death to their loved ones and put them in a box. So if they would die in a car wreck, they have the messages they want for the people that they love. No. So we get involved, we don't prepare. Um, there are some doulas that are lawyers that do prepare. Um, I normally just send them to their attorney and, and have, have the attorney, the estate attorney do all that. Okay. And as far as, you know, after death, I mean, you said sometimes it's about a year and a half till it's really, for the most people, disconnected. But, I mean, you're there grieving, mourning with the family as well and just helping them work through their their own processes. Because, yeah. You know, some families want you there 
Immediately. Some people, I had a, a woman who wanted me to stay the night with her for two nights after her husband passed. And then I've had people want me to speak at the funeral. I've had people, I was all very unique to each passing. Do you, are you typically, uh, and, you know, are you with somebody at the time of their death or do you? I can be. I certainly can be. My hope and my goal as a doula, and I think most doulas would agree with this, is we want to empower the family to feel comfortable to be there. You know, we we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to separate the person that they love and themselves during the sacred time. It's so, it's so difficult. And I mean, I, I've seen that myself. I mean, I know my mother, when she passed, I had seen her three days prior. She was down in Florida. I had flown down and came back. So I, I was not with her when she died. My father was a little bit of a different story. It's it's very difficult to do that. I mean, I, I have a horrible time when a pet, you know, has to be put, you know, put down as well. The difference, um, I know your mom uh, was suffering from Alzheimer's, but what was the difference in your heart between being there with your dad, right, when he passed, and not being with your mom? Well, I think I think a lot of it was just that there's there's a distance. Uh, you know, as we get older, um, and you know, our as children, our lives start to take shape. I mean, you, know, you got the marriage, the kids, the you know, the job, the career, and well, you're being pulled 19 million different ways trying to figure out how to make this thing called life work for you. And at some point, then you know, the as the parents go into the sunset, you know, I, I felt a little bit of certainly guilt and remorse of not being there for my mother at that last, you know, in the last hours. I again, I I was not physically in the room when my father ultimately did pass, but you know, I, I don't deal with that very well. Uh, and, and that's just my own personal thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't like funerals. I don't. Like, and, that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. And so I would honor that. I would honor that if you were, if you were the son of, of my client, so you're my client and your father's passing, I would honor that and offer my vigil services to be with your father. Mm-hmm. And Maybe bring you in, you know, maybe, maybe all people need is a safe spot to retreat to say, this is too much. Right. I need to step back and then to be able to have somebody to step in to that spot so that they can catch their breath, recenter and go back in. You know, everybody is very, very different. You know, your services, Terry, are in, in hindsight for me, uh, invaluable. Um, I know when my grandmother passed and my grandfather passed and stuff like that hospice. Um, I don't think it was really known. I mean, I was a lot younger and a kid and stuff like that, but I mean, I don't ever remember hearing that term until I got to be an adult. So I don't know how old the concept of hospice is, but I know when both of my parents passed, it was just a very, very welcome organization and concept to come help, you know, muddle through all of this. And I've got to think, you take that a step further, okay, you're, you've removed yourself from the medical aspect of this. You somewhat removed yourself from the legal aspect of this. And, you know, the nuts and bolts, and we're all about the heart, the mind, and the caring aspect of this, which are the three aspects I feel that are probably the biggest roadblocks to somebody that is 
experiencing death with, with somebody else. So I've got to think that what you do is invaluable. Okay. We used to die, and I thank you for that. I believe it is, too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I actually believe it's coming full circle. This is, this is not new. We used to do this for thousands of years. A doula is not new to us. Yeah, that sounds like a very old term. So the way we used to do death. We did death in our homes with our families taking care of us, with our children running around. You can go back and look at, you know, all the all the dying and death pictures. There's the children there. There's loved ones there. We would lay the bodies out in our parlor. In the living room, sure. You know, the parlor became the funeral parlor, and the bathroom in the house became the living room. So if you look, if you go back and track dying and death. This is not a new concept. It's actually the way that we're supposed to be doing things, community and village-based. Is it a fairly new concept to our generation? To the modern world, yes. Yeah, to our generation, to the generation before, yes. I mean, it kind of changed when um, embalming came in. Okay. When the funeral homes started, um, I can give you some great books to read about it, but it removed death from our view. So when we removed death from our view, from our parlors, from our homes, and we started outsourcing the care of that, then we became distant from it. There was no reason, no need for you. You know, so then we became like, it really doesn't happen, does it? certainly not going to happen to me. Right. And so we became averse to even talking about it. Oh, no, the funeral parlor is going to do that. Oh, no, we're not going to watch the body. But we did 100 years ago. So bringing it back into this generation, especially with the baby boomers aging, there's not enough caretakers. And the yeah. families, so my my hope is to educate families how to do it. So all doulas in heart. You're all doulas in heart. We just have to trust it. We have to bring it out. We have to learn it and listen to it. Because we're not going to be able to take care of everybody that's dying in the baby boomers. You and I are both baby boomers. Sure. Obviously, we can go to MarylandDoulaCollective.org for some information. Uh, do you have any resources or suggestions that you can offer to the people that are listening as far as just sort of to repair? I mean, I, I know that in a sociology class in college, we had uh, Dr. Kuba Ross come in and speak, and she had a book on death and dying, I think was the name of her book. And that book still excellent. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, it was old back then. <laughs> but it's still true. <laughs> um, and you know that that was a, that was an impressive book for me, and and when I say impressive, I mean made made an impression on me. Um, I think that that's something that people can probably take a look at. And I there think, are so many different resources. I mean, I have my favorites. You know, um, Doctor Atula Blonde wrote a book called Being Mortal. It's an excellent read. There's a there's a special on it, a video, a 45 minute video clip. Eugene Miller is a palliative care dog. Um, he started a company called Metal Health, M-E-T-T-L-E. 
that is a great resource for people that are walking through. He does live Zoom meetings uh, once a month for anybody to join and ask questions. He's big into the end of life. His book is called Beginner's Guide to Dying and Death or something like okay. that. Um, dying well, dying wise, the no. art of dying. We're so many. You know, it's it's a fact of life. Um, that it's that it is going to end us sometime, and it sounds a little bit morose, a little bit morbid, and everything else. But I think the more prepared you are for it, the more you realize that it doesn't have to be this. And, and let's face it, there are some really tragic, you know, car wrecks and and everything else that's uh, that are really, you know, unfortunate, you know, accidents or happenstance that happens there. But um, doesn't need to be this horrible, horrible thing. And, and the older I get, the more I realize that it's really just another beautiful phase of your life. Uh, you certainly look at people say, you know, with, with kids, what was like one of the best things? And people are like, oh, when they walked, when they talked, when they, you know, used the potty and stuff. And I'm like, well, mine was like when my kid could get up, make his cereal and watch TV and let me sleep in the morning. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's just another memory another face it's going to be the last living memory that you're going to have but it you know from birth through life i mean it's just it is it is a cycle and i think talking about about dying talking about death actually brings us into conscious living it helps us live our life intentionally on purpose accepting that we will die so it it People say it's morbid, it's shaky, it's all of that. But really, when you talk about it and you take it to heart that you're not given tomorrow and you start living your life intentionally on purpose, and that's what our, we do what's called the best three months and we go through the five domains of life and say, what do you want your life to look like? And then live intentionally with that. Sounds like you're a fan of bucket list. Um, in a way. You know, in a way, I'm a fan of being present and finding the slice of joy in everything, no matter how hard it is. And it's prioritize your life. It's not necessarily a bucket list. I want to go to Europe. I want to go to India. It is about what do I want to leave behind? Who do you want to have with you? Really, what makes you happy? Because on your deathbed, that's going to be important. Because that's what you're going to be thinking about. Your loved ones, if it's your child or your spouse, your best friends. You know, to sit there and talk about your intentional life that you've lived with them for the last 10 years since you did talk about dying and death. It can be a beautiful situation. And I thank you for bringing the service to the folks that need it. Again, if you wanted to get in touch with Terry, uh, MarylandDoulaCollective.org, and that's Maryland all spelled out, D-O-U-L-A, Collective.org, is the best place to go for that. And uh, you also work with uh, Emma as well. So um, between the two of them, they can probably give you some great insight. I think uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head and that the more that we know about it, the more that we become comfortable with it, the easier it is to realize that it's not nearly the tragedy that we all probably like to think it is. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this week's Local Business Spotlight. Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.